Hi, I'm Paul Strack, and I, along with Mark Fortune, want to welcome you to our latest episode of Slow to Respond. During this time, we will explore the good, the bad, and yes, sometimes the ugly of what it takes to successfully market small businesses. We will look at the unusual, or even the absurd ways we small business owners promote our services and products. And when it's all over, we hope you will have some takeaway tips, and maybe even a laugh or two, even if you are laughing at us. In each episode, we will take a lighthearted look at marketing efforts that for one reason or another may cause the intended audience to be slow to respond. Hey, Mark, why do you not give Elsa a helium balloon? I don't know, Paul. Why not? Because she will let it go. Hey, Disney joke. Great. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Slow to Respond. And yes, we opened with our lame marketing joke, but it has a Disney twist because Mark is joining us just after a week whirlwind trip to the happiest place on earth, Disney World. So welcome back, Mark, and tell us a little bit about your experience. And then after that, we'll talk about how Disney marketing and how the Disney experience can translate to our small business owners experiences as well. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. It's always good to be back. And yes, my uh, my family, my wife and my two kids and I spent last week in Orlando, uh, four days in the Walt Disney World parks, hit all four parks in four days and one day at Universal Orlando Resort, which is um, a lot to cover in one day because there's two parks there as well. And this was uh, my, my daughter's graduation gift. She's graduating high school in a couple of weeks. So this was and a little bit of a you know, now that hopefully we're emerging from this pandemic thing, let's go have some fun. And we cashed in a whole bunch of credit card rewards points and got down there and and, and did the whole Orlando thing. It's I, I guess it's called a vacation. A vacation to me is relaxing. And this is anything <laughs> but relaxing. My, my wife, who is a ardent step counter, had us over 20,000 steps every day we were there. So it was... Uh, uh, Maybe work isn't the right word for it, but it was definitely very, very active. But we had a great time, and it's a great place. There was effort involved in enjoying this. Lots of effort. It takes a lot of work to have that much magic uh, happen in your life, I guess. Well, so we know Disney is a huge entertainment corporation with a huge marketing budget. And while our customers can't compete with that, what are some of the uh, takeaways you had from a marketing perspective what what makes the Disney experience so magical? And, and we want to talk about the things that we can take from that to relate to our clients. So first off, what what is the one thing that stood away you take away from that experience? For me, it starts with just customer experience in general and like customer service. And this is, of course, what Disney is known for everywhere they go. And yes, I mean, it is an amazing when you step back and think about what they've built over all of these years and the experiences they can give you in terms of the rides and the castles and the characters and all of that sort of stuff, that part is amazing. But from a business operations and a marketing perspective, you know, just think about the customer experience they put together. Like everything is so consistent across the board, right? You're going to be treated very well with a very customer service orientation at every step of the process. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter if it's the shuttle driver that's getting you to the park or the front um, desk person at the resort or the hotel you're staying at or a wait staff member in a restaurant 
or the lifeguards at the pool at our resort. I mean, everybody is, you, you can tell they just train like crazy on delivering a positive, magical, if you will, customer experience. Um, even when things don't go great, because nothing's perfect, right? There's always hitches. And I think, especially in a time like this, when we're sort of emerging from a pandemic, and frankly, they're reopening because they were shut down for about six months in the past year. Um, there's always opportunities for things to, to have hiccups, but they're, you know, just their whole culture and attitude towards customer service is by far the most impressive part of it, aside from the amazing rides and attractions that they've built. And I think what you pointed out there that, that I've noticed, again, I love going to Disney. We've been multiple times. Uh, I'm a big fan of Silver Dollar City in Branch, Missouri, so I love the theme park experience. And, and even though Silver Dollar City is such a smaller theme park entity compared to Disney, uh, much of what you said holds true for them. It's their customer service, the customer experience they create. And one word you said was consistency. And I think that is key with all of our business clients. Do what you do and do it well and be consistent. I mean, why did McDonald's become the largest hamburger chain in the world at one time? Was it because they have great food? In my opinion, no. It's because you know what to expect, and you get the same consistent food, the consistent service, no matter where you go to McDonald's. And so our clients, you know, be consistent in what you do, create that customer expectation, and live up to that customer expectation. Yeah, and I, it, it's, I think if small business owners can, can look at this and go, you know, think about how your team treats customers every day, right? From exactly. the, the person who answers the phone to to you as the business owner, right? Does everybody treat them consistently? Frankly, it's kind of the do right rule, right? Do you treat your customers the way you would want to be treated? I mean, everybody can think of businesses that they love doing business with, and it doesn't have to be a massive global corporation like Disney. It can be a restaurant that you love going to, or a print shop that you like to, that you know, that you, you do business with, or whatever kind of business it is. And if, when you ask people, what is great about that business, it almost always comes down to some level of experience or service, right? Because the products and services you deliver are largely, can be copied by other places, but the experience you give them and how you make them feel really can't. And that's usually the best source of differentiation for a company when they're trying to stand out from the crowd. And the good news about it is it usually yields higher prices and higher profits yes. as well, because yeah. you can charge, as Disney knows all too well, <laughs> you can charge a lot for Disney. A we know fantastic all too customer well. experience. It's not just Disney. We know all too well. Oh, man. I mean, they magically make your cash disappear from your bank account. <laughs> if you didn't know, and most people probably do, they give you this thing called a magic band. And you just put it on your wrist or it's in the app on the Disney experience app and you just wave that at stuff and it, and it ma magically things appear, it's, souvenirs, it's, it's, ride tickets, whatever it is. And you kind of forget that that's tied to your credit card until you get home and you see that email from Disney that says your Walt Disney world receipt, yeah, it's, which I still haven't opened and I'm not going to open do it. It's, it's the opposite of a direct deposit. This is the direct deduction bands. It absolutely is. And, I would gather even Disney, Silver Dollar City, and even all those businesses with exceptional customer service, they, they make still try to make the experience about the customer, not so much about them. And that's what, uh, again, any business, you've got to put the focus on your client and your customer. While we all can't be Disney and have Disney budgets or clients with Disney budgets, 
we target our experience towards our customers. I do work with a small, all-female college in Nevada, Missouri, Cotty College. And, and their whole marketing campaign when they target these young women is, it's about you. They call each one by name and make it about you. And I think that's a takeaway, whether at the Disney level or the small college level, you've got to make the experience about your audience. Yeah, I mean, successful businesses solve problems for their customers. It isn't about them, right? It's about the problems that they solve. It's about how you address your target market, your target customer. One of the challenges that we often run in when working with small business owners is they tend to have a everyone with a pulse as our target market kind of mentality. And that's not true. Because when I ask, usually the first question I ask when I work, when I meet with a prospect for the first time is who are your ideal target customers and sometimes I don't even know if it's a majority but frequently the answer is well anyone who can buy from us my next question is do you have customers that you'd rather not do business with and that answer is 100% yes right so that can't possibly be true that everyone with a pulse is your target market um you know who you want to serve. You know what kind of customers are the best to work with. You know which ones you're best at serving well that refer you, that are profitable for you, that have a great relationship with you. And that's where your efforts should focus. Um, but it's easy to just say, well, anyone with a check. Well, yeah, that's exactly. not true. <laughs> and it doesn't work that way. We'd like it. Um, even though Disney's marketing efforts are ubiquitous, they're everywhere. They know who their target market is. I mean, it's an upper income family. Yeah, they, they targeted kids because the kids drive their parents. But Disney is not cheap. It's and it is in, in, in Orlando. You can tell that there are not tears may not be the right word, but there are segments that they serve in different ways. It, the easiest way to look at it is look at the resorts, right? There are more budget conscious resorts. Yeah. There are mid tier resorts and there are luxury resorts. Well, the higher end luxury resorts tend to market towards grandparents taking the family or higher income families. And the budget resorts are all about ease and convenience and, you know, delivering service quickly at a great point. Because if you look, just look at the Orlando airport. When you get on, there's a thing called the Disney Magic Express, which is the shuttle service. And we should talk about that separate because things are changing with that, which is pretty interesting. But um, if you look at the lines, you're basically queued up by the resort you're going to for the buses that are going to take you from the Orlando airport to the resorts. By far, the biggest line with the most people are at the more co uh, budget level type resorts, which are very nice, by the way. We've stayed in them. They're, they're great. But they are built to be more of a Hampton Inn, Fairfield Inn, mass service customer experience, but they're still great resorts. They still have the Disney magic in them. Um, but that's, you know, they serve different tiers of customers. And I find it interesting, too, in Orlando, you have uh, Disney on one side and Universal Studios on the other. Those are two completely different uh, entertainment areas. And I think from their advertising, and you can speak to this because you were recently in both places, they target entirely two different audiences. I mean, it's a different experience um, between Disney World and Universal. You've got roller coasters, you've got shows and all that. But see what you notice between the audiences you witnessed going through the queue lines in both parks and even their, their marketing strategies. Yeah, it seems to me that Universal is aimed more at... Um at families, but families with older kids, right? Your, your toddlers, you don't, you don't see as many, you know, two, three, four, five-year-olds in Universal Studios as you would say in the Magic Kingdom at Disney World. Like you're going to see kids probably 
on average, the youngest, and this is a very unscientific average, is, you know, probably starting at 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. It appeals more to tweens and teens. Their, their rides oh, yeah. are more thrilling. They have more of the thrill rides. They don't have very many little kid rides. Um, they have the whole Harry Potter world thing, and that's kind of a big – there's two things going on at Universal, and we did not do this this time, but they have a, a, a very big water park area that they've opened now and resorts about that, And we weren't, but we weren't at that part. We were in the theme park which is Islands of Adventure in Universal Orlando. And that's where the Harry Potter worlds are. And that, I mean, I think them opening up the um, Harry Potter experience challenged Disney to do a lot of what it did with Star Wars in Hollywood Studios because it is oh, yeah. so immersive. Like you, if you're a Harry Potter fan at all and you've ever wanted to go to Hogwarts or go to Hogsmeade, you can do that in Orlando. Yes, it'll be 80 degrees and 90% humidity, but the experience and what they have built is unbelievable like i mean it's just it, it's it's shocking when you get there and disney i think has answered that with the star worlds star wars area that they've built in the hollywood studios area but again it's that immersive experience right it is delivering beyond what the customer might even expect in terms of what would an authentic harry potter experience look like there's there's nothing better than a cold butterbeer at 9 a.m. on an August day. <laughs> we unfortunately cut it on thunderstorm day in Orlando. <laughs> so we uh, the, the, actually I, I need to tell uh, maybe my daughter hasn't remembered yet. The one thing she wanted was a frozen butterbeer and we didn't get one. But oops, what kind of dad are you? One that so was hiding, I, uh, trying to dodge raindrops for about <laughs> eight hours at Universal Studios last Tuesday. But I think to that point of the contrast between the two and the audience, they know who their audience is. While you and I have competitors, I have competitors in the printing and marketing uh, world, audience, uh, we are different to our, for our clients. We have a different niche and a different marketing strategy than maybe the same company across the street. And you've got to embrace that and recognize that. And yeah, some of the things your competitor today does may make you react differently and market differently, but that, that, that I think makes you better. So you've got to be aware of your customer, of your competitors, but that doesn't mean you have to do exactly the same thing, and that doesn't mean you're necessarily going after the same audience. Well, and I think that when you have, and I have this in my business, when you have other needs emerge or other audiences that you could serve emerge, you've got, you have to decide as a business owner, do we want to serve them? And if so, how? It might not be the same way that you're serving your exactly. traditional customer base now. An example in my world is I have, a, a, over the years, I've had a number of small business owners that are really small, like, I mean, less than a million dollars in revenue, just starting out, you know, kind of on a shoestring budget, bootstrapping up a company, you know, kind of a thing. And this could be, you know, one man plumbing companies or, you know, just opening veterinarian shops and stuff like that. Well, a full scale digital marketing retainer service package is going to be more than they can pay. But I still very much like helping those types of companies because I just love the spirit of going out there and hanging out a shingle and trying to get your, you know, trying to serve a market. Like I love that whole entrepreneurial spirit. So for me, it's more, well, how can I package what I do in a way that is affordable and valuable to them? And that lends itself more towards much smaller scale done for you services and or maybe it's an online course sort of thing where I'll teach them how to do it all themselves. And they can't be here's a million different things you have to do on day one. It has to be in bite-sized chunks because they're way too pressed for time to, you know, take on the entire world of digital marketing at, at, at once. They'll just, it'll just yeah. overwhelm them. 
But you've got to start out, you've got to be committed, and it's got to be consistent as we started out with the very beginning. You can't, it's in marketing, in any advertising and marketing campaign, it, it's a consistent approach. It's it's a journey. It's a destination. As well, and I think another part to, to emphasize is communication, right? So, you know, things aren't always going to be perfect. You're not going to bat a thousand. There are going to be times when you let your customers down unintentionally or not. It's just going to happen. But if you are proactive and positive in your communication to your customers about what happened, why it happened, what you're going to do to address it, you know, if something goes wrong or just staying in touch with them, it counts for a lot. Um, we're doing a lot of work these days in putting out consistent email communications and you talk to business owners and they're like, nobody opens emails and that's just not true. <laughs> I mean, you know, especially in certain market segments, email is still the primary communication channel. Plus, it's crazy affordable. Um, that doesn't mean go out and spam everybody. You have to have valuable content. It's got to mean something. You know, it's got to it's got to further a conversation. Um, it can be promotional, right? Here's a new product we have or a new service we have, but it can also just be educational. Here's some things we thought you'd like to learn about. I always find it interesting on the topic of email communication. Is the res people do read it? We we'll send out emails, promotional emails, or a newsletter two to three times a month, and every single time it will result in an inquiry either about the subject matter we spoke about in the correspondence, or we hear from a customer who we haven't heard from in a while because they see you. They may not even read the email; they see it coming from the subject, you know, from the return address or the subject line, and. I, like everybody else, I get on the dashboard and I look to see who opt out and why I will no longer like those people. I mean, <laughs> you take it personally, but it's not. People like to clear out the Do you email. then chase them down personally? Why, why did you opt out of my newsletter? I, <laughs> I said, how dare you opt out? But, it, it, again, it's consistent. People expect it. You don't spam them. You have something of value to offer, and I don't mean just a product to offer. I mean content to offer. And email marketing works. And we'll talk about other options of combining your marketing efforts, but consistency is the key on all your marketing efforts. Uh, let me ask you this. We know Disney is the happiest place on earth, but sometimes things may go wrong. And whether it's at Disney World, whether it's at Silver Dollar City, Universal Studios, or whether it's at Fortune Marketing or the store across the street, sometimes something goes wrong. Have you had any experience in your entertainment travels or with Disney or heard of any stories you could share where something did go wrong with Disney and how they may have handled it? Sure. Well, I mean, there's, there's always hiccups that are hit. Like an example in our recent trip was, um, our shuttle back to the airport where we get the notice saying, Hey, your, your Disney magic express bus will be here at XYZ time. I had our incorrect departure flight, um, several hours later. So, you know, we had to go try to figure out, okay, how do we rebook this at, at the correct time for, you know, so that we can get to the airport to get back home and do all that sort of stuff, which was, you know, critically important because my daughter's prom was the next night. So we had to be home <laughs> at a certain time. Um, and, you know, again, they made the experience um, positive when you communicated with them. A, they apologized that it was wrong, which wasn't such a big deal. I mean, slip-ups happen. It's not that, it's really not that big a deal. We have some grace and you can cut some people some slack. But, you know, too many times in customer service ex experience, it's almost like the customer was wrong. Like, I mean, frankly, even if the customer was wrong, they're not wrong. Like, you can't right. <laughs> afford to torch that bridge, 
even if they've got incorrect information. And they made the experience of rebooking the shuttle very, very easy. And it came the, correctly the next day and it was no big deal. And even though, even though they rebooked us on it, the next morning when we showed up to get on the shuttle, the driver didn't have our corrected information. He didn't have us scheduled on the bus, which is a problem in pandemic times. And you can only, you know, capacity severely restrained. But we were lucky in that he had extra capacity on that particular ride and we could get on and everything worked. But again, what made that right is there was communication. There was a, a we will solve your problem attitude towards the whole thing. And the experience was consistent, right? It, what you have to ask yourself, and I run into this, especially with service business clients all the time, is, you know, when things go wrong, how is it handled? What is the protocol for doing that? I, I, I don't remember if I said this on our last episode or not, but by far the most vulnerable, the, the biggest point of vulnerability I see in services, service businesses I deal with as clients every day is whoever answers the phone. That is a huge point of risk and vulnerability for local service businesses, because if that person cannot handle challenges positively, proactively um, and well, accurately in a quick manner, they're going to really damage a, either a potential customer relationship or a customer relationship. And too many business owners just don't answer the dang phone, which yeah. I mean, think about your own life. How many times do you need to schedule a service person and you can't get them on the phone? Like that's just... That's a terrible, terrible experience. That's why people are constantly shopping for, I need an electrician or a plumber or a locksmith or a heat and air guy or whatever the case may yeah, be. Yeah, you've, 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 you've got to be accessible. And, and going back to some of the cases where things have gone wrong, I think as a business owner, this was tough for, for me to do, but I've, I've recommended to clients as well, things are going to go wrong. All the best planning, no matter what, best service, the best staff, we're humans, we're going to make mistakes. One of the first things you have to be able to do is to admit the mistake and say you're sorry. Apologize. That's when an angry customer calls or emails you, and there have been those. Or leaves you a one-star really, review on Google. Uh, yeah, that's really one of the first words they want to hear are, I apologize. I'm sorry. That's that's what they're looking for. Not, I'm sorry if I offended you. No, I, I'm sorry. Um, you know, I think one of the things I learned from, from my folks, my dad growing up in this business and being part of this business we always stressed about the need to do it right. Do it right the first time, okay? That's, that's your number one goal. Make the customer happy the first time. But as I said, we're going to make mistakes. And sometimes we get a do-over. Well, if you make a mistake, you admit it, and then you make it right, right? You either comp the service or you give them more than they bargained for or than they were hoping for. Or some way, you've got to make your mistake correct and right in their eyes. So... You know, in short, do it right, and if not, you make it right. And I think Disney does that. Um, you've heard all these stories about, oh, I lost my video camera, and they bought me a new video camera or something like that. Well, that may not even be the fault of the client. Again, as Mark said earlier, in most all cases, the client is always right, whether they are or not. So you've got to consider the lifetime value of that client and ignore or just not ignore, overlook this specific instance and see, is this going to be pay dividends down the road to make it right? Well, and it's even more critical today, I think, than ever before, because each one of those experiences ripples out and there's so many channels to communicate dissatisfaction or satisfaction, you know, in an online world and in a social media world where everything's so networked that, you know, it's, it's so easy for someone to go onto Facebook and just absolutely torch a business that, you know, 
right, wrong doesn't have anything to do with it. It's more about that experience that you've left them with that then made them write whatever it is they wrote. Um, conversely, if you can, like you said, either do it right or make it right, communicating on the, hey, something went wrong with Fortune Marketing, but Mark went out of his way to make it right for us, that is almost worth more, <laughs> if yeah, you will. So, exactly. you know, it's just having that mentality that, it's customer first and you're solving their problems. You, you exist to yeah. serve them, not the other way around. Yeah. They will, they will talk more about the thing you did to make it right and how you resolve the issue. They'll talk more in a positive and they'll forget about even the reason the complaint originated in the first place. Yeah. Cause if you ask, and I, and I challenge any of our listeners to do this, if you're a small business owner, if I ask you what makes you different from your competitors, it's not going to be, you're, you're going to say quality and service, but what is it about that? What is it about the service? What are the stories behind that? That is where your real differentiation is, right? And it's usually going to be sometime when a customer, and we interview our clients' customers, and when I get them on the phone, it's almost always a matter of, well, there was this one time that Joe went the extra mile and did X, right? Whatever that is. That's what really helps you stand out versus the, the service you offer. Make the exception the rule in that regard. Um, so, again, going back to Disney World and Universal and these huge corporations that have these big budgets, but one of the things I think that makes them unique and makes us want to keep coming back are some of the little things that they do. What were some of the experiences that you saw, some of the little things that you notice either at Disney Universal that and high, you know, at the time you may not have thought about it, or maybe you have, but you think, wow, they do that right. This is this is why they're successful. Well, I think they really, especially at, at, at Disney, and this is true at Universal as well, but they really want to immerse you in the experience when you're there, right? It is sort of, I think it's, in, it's, it's a part and parcel of their approach that you kind of forget everything else that's going on and just immerse yourself in the experience, spending time with family, enjoying the attractions and all that. And it's really little things. It can be little things like, just cast members, because that's what they call their employees, their attitudes in serving you. It can be little things like there's Mickey's silhouette, you know, the, the face and the ears is imprinted all over the park, but in like little bitty subtle places that you don't see. And it's kind of a fun game to notice where you see the Mickey's appear. Like there was two in the carpet in the waiting area by our elevator in the, in the hotel we were staying in. And that's just kind of a cool little touch to add. So what are those little micro delights or micro commitments, if you will, you can make to your customers that just add that much more and reinforce your brand and the culture that you're trying to build. Um, I think that has a lot to do with it. It, it, it it's gotta be tough for a place like Disney these days, they were shut down for basically six months during the pandemic. Well, they've opened back up, but now they've opened back up and everybody has to wear a mask and everybody has to try to be as socially distant as they can. That's hard to do in a theme park where everybody's just trying to rush around and have as much fun as they can. But you don't feel like I never once felt like I was being put upon to abide by those rules and regulations when we were there. So how do they do that? Well, there's a lot of communication. There's signs at the end of where the lines are because now the lines wind around a whole lot longer than you might think, but the lines are never as long as it looks like because everybody's spaced six feet apart. Um, the cast members are as pleasant as they can be when they remind you to pull your mask up <laughs> as you're walking around the park because you've forgotten because you were taking a drink or eating a Mickey popsicle or whatever it is. Um, and, I, and I can't even imagine and I thought I caught myself thinking about this when we were there, the amount of training that would have to go into an experience of that scale and the number of people you've got to touch and communicate with on your team to deliver that this is how we do things. Right. It's got to be a constant 
a constant um, function and area of focus for a company like that. Yeah, I think that that's key. And it's as a small business owner, it's something that I need to do better, but we all probably can improve is the constant training. Uh, we always have to make these adjustments, but in constantly training, not only new employees and new team members, but those that have been with us a while because circumstances have changed as we all have seen over this past year. Um, one of the little things that you had mentioned that I recall experiencing the last time I was at Denny, uh, uh, Orlando and Disney World was, you mentioned earlier, the magic bands. And so not only do those allow you to pay just with a swipe of your wrist, they track you all throughout the park. I mean, that's a it's a tracking device Disney uses for uh, data gathering, crowd control, if you will. But I noticed the first time it was when I was down there with uh, our daughter, Amanda, we were going through the queue line at one of the rides and you see these video boards and we're walking through and also we look up and it says, welcome Paul and Amanda. And, and I mean, that was cool. It kind of blew us away. It was kind of creepy. But then we knew, well, it's tied into our video. But it's those little things that, you know, you're waiting in a two-hour queue line that helps you pass the time and you forget and you take a picture and look, Disney knows I'm here and all that. And so, you know, while we don't have video boards, it's important for us as business owners to do those little things. And going back to what we said, immerse your customer in the experience, know their name, know their birthdays, things like that. Hey, you remember me. I'm not just customer number XYZ, one, two, three, four. I, I'm, I'm a person. They remember me. And they do remember the little things, a handwritten thank you note, a thank you email. They appreciate that. So while we can't do it electronically like Disney, there are ways that we can thank our customers and do the little things that keep them coming back. Well, and everybody knows a, a, a returning customer is more profitable than a new customer, right? It's yep. just that's just the way it works, and it costs a lot more to acquire new customers than it does to retain existing customers. So, if you can build raving fans in your customer base, you will do better financially in the long term. And and it's something that I see clients miss a lot of times, especially with small businesses, is that the I've seen this a lot. A lot of times, the owner is great at it, but the team is not. And that means the owner's failed. Like that means the owner has not done a good enough job delegating work and training his team, his or her team on the culture of the business and how they do business, right? If your attitude is, well, nobody can do it as well as me, well, that means you're not doing your job to get others to do it as well as you as an owner, right? right. So you'll, And you'll never right. grow the business past a certain point if you're doing that. If you have to do it all, then you can't scale that because you're not clonable yet. And I think that, that leads into the uh, next topic is uh, being able to adapt to changes, being able to adapt to things that are out of our control. Obviously, this past year with the pandemic has affected every business owner, it's affected everybody. But what did you notice in Disney World and Universal Studios from your previous visits? How have they adapted the, these changes? What adjustments have they made? Well, you know... Pre-pandemic, and it had been several years since we'd been in Orlando, but like like at Disney World, and this is true at Universal as well, there's lots of shows that go on, right? There's characters that walk through the park. When you have little kids, one of the big things at Disney is to get the characters' autographs and the autograph books and all of that stuff and the, the parades that go through the parks. All of that's gone right now. That doesn't exist. And the, and the shows where you sit in the auditorium and see the, the shows are generally gone as well. That so makes me sad. That, I'm sad about that. <laughs> well, but that's the thing. Like a bit, So that's a big part of the experience yeah, down there that is. is not happening right now. But what is happening now is, you know, they found other ways to, to still delight you while you're there. There are much smaller 
parades like at Disney World, there'd be like two or three cars that would roll down the main street of Magic Kingdom, you know, every I don't know how often it was every hour, 90 minutes, whatever it was. So there's little bitty experiences like that. But then there's um, I, I think what they do is a better job of communicating and helping manage your time in lines because you end up spending a lot more time. Like there are not characters roaming through the park right now, generally speaking, or if they are, they're at a distance. Like Mary Poppins was in um, the England part of Epcot when we were there and everybody could wave and like ask her questions, but it was from 20 feet away, right? You weren't up next to her taking pictures or any of that sort of stuff. Or like the princesses strolled through in a car in Epcot when we were there. Um, but you couldn't get up next to them and take pictures or any of that sort of stuff. So they're, they're finding smaller ways to deliver that experience to make up for what they are not allowed to do right now. And I think that's the lesson for small business owners is, is you have to be willing to pivot and adjust as things happen. If we've learned anything in the past year is that pivoting and adjusting and finding other ways to delight your customers is, is critical to staying in business, frankly, these days. Going back to that experience of the characters being available, one of the first times we took the whole family to Disney, our kids were very young, and Matthew, our second son, was a hugger. He could not pass a character without taking and taking his time, waiting in line, and going up to hug these characters. This was even before they had the cue lines for the characters. Every time, <laughs> there's Tigger, oh, we had to go hug him. <laughs> there's Mickey, oh, we had to go hug him. And it was just so funny. On the other end of the spectrum, Amanda, for whatever reason, did not like cue lines. Uh, she hated the wait. I don't know if there was a ride we waited in that she did not enjoy, but whatever it was, she had a bad experience in queue lines. And so we came back and we said, well, she's definitely suffering from uh, PD, PT, post-traumatic Disney disorder or something like that. Because we would go to a movie the first time we were going to probably a Disney movie. We were standing in line at a, a movie theater to get our tickets and she freaked out no i don't want to go in don't want to go in so i don't know what disney did to her but she's come over that but yeah it it, is amazing the contrast has changed from how the characters were so accessible to probably because of demand you had to get in the queue lines and wait to now the, the changes that you made but it's it's the adaptability adapting to the change and we've all experienced that well and i'll i'll give you one more example that i was just thinking of is um Restaurants and eating, especially at the quick serve places in the parks, and this is true at Universal and at Disney, there's no walking up to a window and placing an order and getting your food right now. It's all through an app. So you have to you, you, you download their app, you order via the app, and you pay via the app, and then you let them know when you're close by, and they will prepare your order and then send you a notification or a text when your order is ready, and you walk up to the window and grab your order, and then you can go sit. That avoids long, closely you know, non-distanced queue lines in front of ordering windows. Well, I got to thinking about this. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't more or less make that the standard as things open more widely up because there's two things they can do when they do that. One, it's probably a lot more efficient to get those orders through. And two, it's going to open up a lot of physical space to put more tables into a restaurant area, I suspect, than what they'd have because they don't have to have long wait or pay areas where people are queued up right now yeah so i i suspect a lot of businesses have this and i'm bet disney's gonna and universal are gonna have lots of these experiences where things they have changed um for pandemic reasons are not going to change back because it's a more efficient better experience for the customer and more automated perhaps than it would have been um previously you see i have no idea how that plays out in staffing levels but i bet there's an impact to that as well i agree and you see people on social media asking when is chick-fil-a going to open their inside dining 
Chick-fil-A has mastered the drive-thru and the curbside service. If I were them, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 granted, I, I think they probably saved overhead. They don't have the inside cleaning fee. And I would not be surprised if their revenues have gone up significantly during this pandemic. So they've adapted. Yeah, or if they do, like, what's a, what's a restaurant metric? Profits per square foot, sales yeah. per square oh, yeah. foot. Yeah. It's probably just the same, if not better, and probably more profitable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, it sounds like you had just a happy time at the happiest place on earth. It was So let's great. wrap this up and see, you know, again, taking from this top level with Disney and, and Universal Experience, what, what can we sum up to for our business owners, our listeners on how, what they need to focus on in marketing their business and to give that Disney-esque experience? I think every it's, it's incumbent upon every business, it doesn't matter how big or small you are, to understand your customer experience and constantly assess how that works and where you can improve. Because again, retaining those customers and keeping them delighted, the right customers will be far more profitable for you in the long term. I think it's critical to be consistent in your service as you go, as we said, and communicate well as you go through it. And, you know, train your team, build the culture that you want, because, you know, again, it's kind of the do right rule. Do treat people the way you want to be treated. And if your whole team can do that, you will win in the long term. I can guarantee it. And as we said, too, I think you want to, well, they say the devil is in the details. You've got to pay attention to these details and, and consistency. And as we talked about with making these adjustments, you've got to be willing and able to adapt to changes. The world is going to continue to change. Um, and so we've got to be willing to look into that, see how does this improve us. Sometimes these changes may not work, but find out what does work and keep implementing those. Yeah, absolutely. If we do these, Mark, we make these changes, we consistent, we focus on our customers, then our audience will no longer be slow to respond. That's correct. Well, thank you all again for listening. Um, Hope you had some good takeaways and we look forward to uh, visiting on our next topic next time around. Take care. Mm